We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, and it is Wednesday night, September 22nd, 2021, And the reason we are streaming live on Wednesday night is that the Chicago White Sox have to play five games in four days in Cleveland starting on Thursday, which they have a doubleheader. We will be previewing that series uh, as the White Sox continue this last road trip that they have of the regular season, starting in Texas, going to Detroit, and then heading to Cleveland. There has been an update in the road trip for the White Sox. They were originally scheduled to play their final regular season game in Detroit today, Wednesday in the afternoon, but that game got postponed due to rain and major league baseball has decided to reschedule that game for this upcoming Monday. So after the white Sox had this game postponed, they get on a plane, they go to Cleveland tonight to get ready to play five games in four days after the Sunday game, they got to get back on a plane And instead of flying home and having the Monday off and getting to relax at home, they now have to fly back to Detroit to play another afternoon game. And then from Detroit after that game, they get to fly home and get ready for a Tuesday-Wednesday matchup against the Cincinnati Reds, who desperately need this series as they're barely handing on in the National League wildcard. Then they get next Thursday off, and then they finish up their regular season with a three-game weekend series against the Detroit Tigers before they go on to the postseason. That's the latest schedule update for the Chicago White Sox. And as we are speaking, the White Sox are 85 and 66. We talked about this on Monday, Jim. We were Mm -hmm. hoping that the White Sox would be able to clinch the American League Central in Detroit. That did not happen as the Tigers continue to play good baseball while the White Sox continue to play mediocre baseball. And the White Sox now have to figure out a way to clinch the division in Cleveland. There's an opportunity to do that as early as tomorrow, especially game one of the seven-inning doubleheaders. And we'll preview that game later on. But after Detroit, how are you feeling about this White Sox team and, and the fact that they did not clinch the American League Central? Well, I didn't think they would just because that seemed too easy. And, you know, it reminded me last year of when they went to Cleveland and had four games and just needed to win one of them to finish ahead of Cleveland. And they got swept in uh, a four-game sweep. Uh, Two of the the last two losses were by one run apiece. So, of, of course, they have to go to Cleveland. Of course, they have to win one game. I guess the good news is the that Cleveland has to go 12 and one in order to have a chance of holding on to their hopes of winning the central. So even if by some uh, anomaly, the white Sox once again, get swept five games in four days, which I think might be possible just because of the way the white Sox conduct business. um, It's still 
tough. <laughs> they still they still don't have to do it themselves. Basically, the the White Sox don't. So that's I think the reason why I'm not really, you know, it's, it's fine. It's five games, four days. Assuming they win one of them, at some point they can probably do a lot of roster manipulations, sending guys down, sending guys up, rotating fresh arms in and out, getting them back for the postseason in order to make sure that they're not really taxing anybody. Those are good points. Uh, I don't think I would really want to discuss the hypothetical that the White Sox lose every game in Cleveland over the next four <laughs> days. Uh, that would just make things a, a lot worse, uh, especially with the fan base right now. And I'll admit, I am a bit worried as well on the way that the White Sox have been playing. We talked about this on Monday. You know, do you buy into the philosophy that come October, a switch can be flipped and the team gets serious and they start magically playing better baseball or do they have to get hot at the final week of the season and john greenberg of the athletic uh i think he wrote a column talking about the white Sox, and i think he makes a good point that the fact that the white Sox end this season at home where they have been so good this year i think they're gonna build up some momentum in the final week of the season but as we spoke on Monday, we were going to be paying attention to routines and how players were executing. And there's one player in particular that we had questions about, and that was Aloy Jimenez, who mm -hmm. was struggling. We did get to see in an at-bat gym, he did what we wanted him to do, uh, where he got an RBI double by taking an outside pitch away to right field, uh, right center field at Comerica Park, uh, hitting off the wall, I think that ball probably goes out at guarantee rate field for a home run. And I felt, yes, yes, we need more of that. We didn't get much more than that as far as the two games in Detroit. And as you wrote on SoxMachine.com, uh, in a way, Eloy Jimenez has become the White Sox fulcrum just in the way that he hits when the White Sox win compared to the way that he's hitting when the White Sox lose? Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, when I think about Fulcrum, like in the classic sense, he's like the, yeah, the Fulcrum is like Avi Garcia for all those years. He wasn't an all-star form of Avi Garcia where he was like the last uh, or, or like the one hitter who you don't know about. And if he adds to the lineup, then he fills up the lineup. If he doesn't, then the White Sox have three bats and then are scrambling. And I think, He's not so much the fulcrum to me in that sense. I, I, I think, you know, he does swing the quality of the lineup, but I think it's more a reminder that the White Sox lineup was kind of built around him in the first place. I think the White Sox have done a good job of masking that, you know, while he was out, finding contributors from different places, finding, uh, you know, random guys to fill in for, you know, kind of two to four week heroes before they had to, uh, you know, the league got used to them and they figured out somebody else who could step up. But I think right now they're kind of at the end of the season and it all kind of circles back to, to Eloy and, and, and having him get back on track almost, you know, in a way, it seems a little bit like the Cleveland series and having to win at least one game in Cleveland when they couldn't do that last year. It all circles back to like, here's how the season was originally built. Here is how the lineup was originally built. It has to work this way. It has to work with these guys. It has to work against this team. Almost like, you know, kind of in, in a video game, uh, like how you can circle around a mission or circle around a boss or circle around an opponent and not have to face them and fulfill some side missions and get some points that way and build up a character. But eventually you're going to have to beat that one level, beat that one mission boss in order to win the game. And I think for me, it kind of, you know, at the end of the season, they got through, you know, basically every week of the season aside from the last two. And now they have to circle around, beat Cleveland directly, even if it's just once. And then they have to get Jimenez on track the way that he hasn't been for most of the season, or at least the last month. Uh, so that's where I think the White Sox are at. So he's not really fulcrum in the sense that he can tilt the lineup from bad to good. The White Sox lineup's already good, but it's built around him to be the guy in the middle of the order to either start rallies himself with the homer or finish things off. Because I think Grandal, he's in that role right now, or at least the way the white lineup's flipped he's there in the fourth spot because Jimenez just isn't hitting. But as we're seeing with him, like they just pitch around him and he's not somebody he he's comfortable going outside the strike zone to drive guys in the way a can, the way Robert sometimes does. 
he's not that guy. He's somebody who, when he's slumping, can still keep the order going. I think Jimenez, he fits that mold of Abreu, the one that he's perfected over the years, and that like he'll get the job done even if they don't really want to engage him. He'll engage them. And I think right now he's trying that, but he just doesn't have the full capacity of his strike zone coverage and it's getting him in trouble. And as you pointed out in your column on SoxMachine.com Wednesday morning, uh, when the White Sox win with Eloy Jimenez in the lineup, Eloy's hitting 289 with a 354 on base percentage and slugging 600. He has eight home runs this season. All eight home runs come in White Sox wins with 25 RBIs. When the White Sox lose, Jimenez is sitting 209 with a 242 on base percentage, slugging 267. He does not have a home run and a White Sox loss, and he's only driven in seven RBIs. And as you mentioned, Jim, Aloy is getting a lot of opportunities with guys on base mm-hmm. because Yasmani Grandal is still on his insane rate right now. Uh, I think it's almost like getting on base. of the time, it feels like, uh, since he's come off the injured list. You also throw in on how well Luis Robert has been hitting. And it it just seems like, yeah, the game is finding Aloy Jimenez. On Tuesday, bases loaded, one out. Jimenez grounds into a double play. If Jimenez is his normal self and he's into rhythm, I'm thinking that ball is going to go in the air which could be great things, right? Gives the possibility of a grand slam. But I think when Aloy Jimenez is right, the White Sox are getting at least one run out of that situation. And diving deep into his uh, results uh, with runners on base, with a runner on third base and fewer than two outs, uh, Aloy Jimenez right now is one for nine. And obviously that's not good. And he's not converting on those opportunities. And when you start seeing guys on second base, third base for Aloy, it just seems that maybe he's pressing. Do you ever buy into that theory, Jim, that runners in scoring position, hitters themselves get a little too stressed out. They get a little too tight at the, at the plate because they feel like they have to succeed in that situation and drive in a run. Sometimes I think we see it with Abreu uh, when he expands swing his mode. zone. Yeah, when swing mode, when he gets uh, especially low pitches below the zone, as they're pitching him earlier in the year, sometimes inside. Uh, there, there appears to be like one way opponents decide to pitch Abreu this year that might work the best, and he gets into a. It's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy where they pitch him that way. He gives into it for a month. <laughs> they keep doing it. And eventually, he learns. Um, e- either Jimenez has that gene in him to where that also might be a possibility where he does get in that motor. Just right now he's very easy to pitch, but more than that, I think it's just a byproduct of how poorly he's hitting in general right now, how he's not able to cover the outside half. Like I was surprised how poorly he's hitting lefties this year. Like he's not a factor at all against lefties, like a four or something OPS against them. But then I realized like, that's just, uh, you know, he's not hitting curveballs, changeups well. And then you think just like lefty, just changeups away. Like that's, that kind of uh, fills it out. And then you have lefties staying away. You have righties sweeping stuff away. And both of those pitchers, uh, righties, lefties, can just get that spot against them with probably one of their primary pitches because most lefties have a changeup or something to work hitters away. So that's, I think, more, yeah, I would it's less pressing because he's not having a whole bunch of great at-bats right now, even when there's nobody on base. Like he has maybe a single a game, but he's not really uh, like scorching the ball. Uh, and then when it gets run around third, like then he's expanding the zone the way Abreu was earlier this year. Like he was fine, but it just, you know, with runners on scoring position, a little bit worse, a little bit more noticeably worse. And I think with Jimenez, he's just kind of off altogether. Swinging through fastballs, he usually doesn't miss. When he's trying to guard against slow stuff, like he's caught in between. I, I think he's he doesn't have the right swing for the right pitch. And sometimes uh, that's just how it is. Like just he's either guessing wrong, he's getting sequence different than how he had been in the past because he's not covering a certain pitch and he just has to figure it out. I view this as a silver, a silver lining because just looking at the numbers as a team, it gets a, it gets a bit frustrating for from a, looking at the White Sox perspective. Like 
why collectively is this team not hitting, especially on the road? Mm-hmm. Uh, since the all-star break games, at guaranteed rate field, the white Sox are averaging 5.3 runs per game. That's really good games away from Chicago. So not counting the Wrigley field series, because that's not really a road series. They're staying at home. They're not having the travel and not counting Iowa because I was a neutral site. The white Sox are averaging 3.4 runs per game on the road since the all-star break. That's not good. And I look at these two numbers and it's like, what's causing these road woes. But after your column, looking at Aloy Jimenez and look at where Jimenez bats in the lineup and these opportunities that he's getting every single game with guys on base, Mm -hmm. the light bulb went off for me. So I'm so glad that you pointed this out, Jim. And that's why I'm saying this is a silver lining because if Aloy Jimenez can correct himself over the next week, then I think we're going to see better results for the White Sox, especially offensively. And if they can consistently put up four plus runs a game, then we're not going to see these losses pile up like we have been for the last few weeks where they have this big game. They score seven plus runs. Everything is clicking. The very next day they get shut out. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? And and I think Aloy Jimenez's struggles speak a lot to that because he's right there batting fifth for the White Sox. And he's batting behind two guys that are red hot for them and Luis Robert and Yasmani Grandal. And Jimenez is just not cashing in on those opportunities. And if he corrects himself and Robert and Grandal continue to hit like they have been, then yeah, the White Sox offense will be able to pick up more of the slack. I I think it's Jimenez and I think also Jose Abreu having a down power month, like not being able to fool himself and think that it's August uh, 40-something right now. (laughs) I think (laughs) that's uh, played into it because Abreu's only got one homer this month. Um, really? Yeah. I did not even notice yeah. that. And you know, it's it just right now they have 13 homers this month. Grandall's got four sheets is three, Robert two, Larry two, Mankata one, Abreu one, and then nobody else has one. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, Abreu flew out to the warning track, Mankata flied out to the warning track. Uh, Jimenez had to double off the wall to right center. Like they're playing in some big parks. And it just seems to me that the offense, and this is me just thinking off the top of my head, or just perhaps it's recency bias, a couple of colorful, you know, vivid illustrations recently, but it seems like the team is almost built for the cheap homer a little bit. Like they need the, hmm. you know, just the friendly bullpens at guaranteed rate field, uh, the the uh, craft cave, and right? Just, you know, be able to shank one out or line one out, hit, hit a low screamer that barely clears the fence. Like it just, the way they hit, um, sometimes makes me think like, you know, they have the disparity of 28 homers, uh, 28 more homers at home than they do on the road. And I'd have to look at the map, look at StatCast, see where the homers end up and see if you can map it against just how guaranteed rate field is shaped to see if there's anything to that. But that's, that's just kind of how I feel. Like they sometimes seem to lack the raw muscle or at least like the backspin laden drives to get the ball out in these big parks like Kauffman Stadium and uh, yeah. you know the, what we saw at uh, Globe Life and you know now we saw in in Comerica in the the alley to alley like that's just kind of how it feels uh, to me and you know perhaps I can look that up right now if I can remember how to do that quickly enough to see if that's actually true. <laughs> well, while you do that, so speaking to Aloy Jimenez, and if he clicks, then yeah, I am hoping the White Sox get out of this funk. Defensively, they've been bad all year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the latest update from Fielding Bible. Uh, They have the White Sox ranked 24th in Major League Baseball when it comes to defense. And the only position that the White Sox are even better than average defensively is at third base. So go, Yohan Mikata. You're (laughs) making the White Sox defense look good. Do not look at the catching data. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Uh, Sevi Zavala and Zach Collins not getting good results uh, with the fielding Bible and the fielding Bible is important because it's X percentage to determine who wins the gold glove uh, this upcoming year for both the American and national league. But as white Sox fans, uh, yes, there's a lot of angst right now. And I, I don't blame any white Sox fan, especially for white Sox fans that have watched every single inning of this season, uh, hoping that it is a special season 
that what in the world is going on since the all-star break what has been going on since july 30th this team is just not hitting on all gears they're not beating the teams that they should be beating the road woes continue what is going on but i did post a poll on twitter jim just as a pulse check asking white Sox fans uh as far as their new expectations for this season i think preseason all White Sox fans would be ecstatic if they won the American League Central because we were thinking it was going to be a tough race, especially with the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since June 1st, uh, I think most White Sox fans have been thinking that the division is in the bag and it's going to be in the bag officially, hopefully, fingers crossed, this upcoming weekend in Cleveland. Uh, but I did post this poll on Twitter just to kind of understand what White Sox fans would now uh, think of a successful 2021. Have the field goal post move on this season. And we had uh, quite a few votes uh, on Twitter, uh, over 1,700 votes on what level of accomplishment would you only consider 2021 season a success for the Chicago White Sox? And the leading vote getter, 36.5%, is winning the American League pennant. A close second at 36.2% is winning the American League Divisional Series. Only 4% of White Sox fans would consider this season a success if the White Sox only come out of this season winning the American League Central. So the field goal posts have really moved uh, in, in the sense that the vast majority of White Sox fans are not going to be satisfied with this season, Jim, uh, if they don't at least win one playoff series. Mm-hmm. Do you follow in the same path as the White Sox fans who took our poll that this season will not be a success if they don't win at least one playoff series? I think so, just because of the White Sox paucity of postseason series wins like the only years they've won a postseason series are the years they won the world series that's uh 2005 1917 1906 like they haven't won a postseason series in any other point in their history like they didn't in 93 they didn't in uh 2005 08 uh you know 83 just what what you know since you know 59 when they got to the world series last like they just haven't done that so i know rick Hahn, you know, will say talk to me when there's a parade and sure i mean do they do the, parades for division titles yeah I mean, it's, I, it's been 13 or was it yeah it's been 13 yeah it's been 13 years since the last one yeah i think they did a parade right in in uh pittsburgh when they snapped their losing season streak uh <laughs> their 20 year so you can hold parades for less so uh, there is that, but um, it's, I think just with the White Sox where they are, um, I, I think the goal I had initially was make the postseason two years in a row. And I think I'll have a post on Sox machine deciding whether this counts. I mean, it does theoretically because, or, you know, technically it does because they did make the postseason two years in a row, but making it as a third place team under a structure that only existed for a 60 game schedule, like kind of, you know. Uh, yeah, I would say like, you know, making it next year would put the end of the conversation and debate. Uh, so that's kind of where I am, but I think just when it comes to what the White Sox have accomplished, haven't accomplished, it's like getting deep into October. And I, I consider it being like, you know, at least halfway into October, like, uh, winning the division, winning a series, getting to the seven game series. Like that's cool. Uh, I think that's pretty good so I, I think i would take that um it, i know it sounds like a little bit like uh you know loser talk a little bit because it's uh you know should want to win it all should want to win the ale pennants but just when you figure just the odds of it and figure that that i can't contribute directly to it like i'm not gonna get mad mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's partially just uh you know i i'm not playing in the games like i'm not i have no control over how they do so uh, I think given just how little they've accomplished, I would like to see them accomplish something and that would at least be accomplishing something. Yeah. The world series or bus crowd. We're not fans of an organization that can live up to that billing. Unfortunately, maybe one day during this championship 
contention window that the White Sox have built for themselves. Maybe next year or 2023, that could be realistic. World Series are bust. But in 2021, for this season, I still feel like, Jim, that the White Sox are proving themselves to the other powerhouses in the American League. As we stream this, the Tampa Bay Rays beat the Toronto Blue Jays. The Rays have now been to the postseason in three straight years. And they won the American League pennant last year, and they're looking to have home field advantage for this postseason. We know about the success that the Houston Astros have had. And if the Boston Red Sox make the postseason, they won the World Series in 2018. There are very strong teams that the White Sox are going to have to prove in this October. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get that opportunity that they are just as good, if not better than these teams. So until they get over that hurdle, it's very difficult for me to say World Series are busts to determine that this is a successful season for the White Sox. There's a part of me that is with the four percenters that the White Sox winning the division does constitute this season as a success because it has been 13 years since the last time they won the American League Central. Uh, let's stop having those big gaps in divisional titles, please, mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. And with all of the injuries that the White Sox had had to overcome before the season and in the month of May, that, that they're in this position and they were able to not just tread water, but have a 10-plus game lead in the final couple of weeks of the season, I view that as a success. I, I was really surprised on how far the field goal posts have been pushed down the field from White Sox fans because I wish I ran that poll at the beginning of the season so we can do a compare and contrast mm -hmm. on what, what White Sox fans because I don't think you would have a lot of World Series or bus, but I, I am a bit surprised that the majority of White Sox fans feel like they need to at least win the American League pennant. I think that's a tall order right now uh, for this ball club. I don't think it's impossible, but mm -hmm. I'm surprised that that's the new expectation from White Sox fans for this season. Well, I can kind of see it. Like the way I'm looking at it right now is like, say if we, if the AL Central was the way we thought it would go before the season, when he thought it was going to be a three-team race or like a two-and-a-half-team race, depending on whether Cleveland could keep it together post-Lindor. And it was like a classic stretch drive, August, September, every game counting, just uh, you know, having you know, big sellout crowds, the you know, having everybody living and dying with every pitch. Then I think you could say maybe an AL Central title wouldn't feel like an accomplishment because they proved they had like the, uh, the medal to survive pressure. But right now, they have no pressure. Like this, there's an absence of pressure. They're not performing. So if they were to go out with one post, like kind of like a miserable ALDS, I don't think they would, it would be a missed opportunity to drum up like the necessary excitement that I figured would happen with a September stretch drive right now. They've been kind of just hovering for two months and, and not being challenged, inviting uh, Cleveland to challenge them and Cleveland, uh, demurring saying, no, we're good. <laughs> you have fun with your AL central title. So the way I look at a success is having that excitement, having uh, the big crowds, the big ratings, the big excitement, the season ticket numbers going up for next year, having the uh, base payroll for the off-season plan project go up by quite a bit just because of so much excitement and, and so many people pouring resources to it. And I think if they went out in the LDS like a, a flat – you know, four game loss. I think it's going to be a missed opportunity. I think if they got to the ALCS and lost in that and, and played into the, uh, you know, middle of the month and had people thinking, okay, you know, we're X games from the world series, you know, or we're, um, you know, just, you know, two wins away. Then I think you get that excitement. Even if they don't quite get all the way there, they're, they're the talk of the city for, a lot of October. And I think that's kind of what they have to do in the absence of a stretch drive testing them and, and having proven that they can hold up against real competition. I think they need to go one further step and prove it in the ALDS. Okay. Okay. I could, I could, I could buy that. It's, it's a tall order because Tampa yeah. 
and Houston, maybe Toronto. They're better. They're better than the White Sox right now. Until the White Sox start getting back into rhythm and showing a little bit more consistency, uh, it's just, it's especially with the White Sox having to go to Houston for games one and two mm-hmm. and remembering and how those games went in May. I, I just, I'm having a, a hard time, Jim, not seeing a scenario where the White Sox are down 0 2 when they play game three on October 10th at home. Yeah, I guess it depends on how Jimenez looks. Uh, because he yeah. wasn't there in, you know, and that's why I think he's so important because if he's there, he's somebody who can light up October. He can be a star. He can be somebody like a, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say like he can be Randy or Rosa Reyna, but he has the talent to have that kind of, you know, couple games where just all of a sudden like, whoa, <laughs> he's uh, all of a sudden he's just turned the game over. This is uh, just, uh, he silenced the crowd. I think he's the one hitter who has the ability to do that. And I mean, you know, Abreu can, but I think just Jimenez with the way, how hard he hits the ball, all fields and, you know, Houston affords cheap homers. That's <laughs> a case where, it's true. Uh, you know, and, and having more bats, you know, having Robert there who can also just hit a cheap homer with his strength. I, I think there are opportunities for the White Sox to be more competitive and, you know, should it be like a five game ALDL, ALDS loss where they just, two heavyweights throwing haymakers at each other and just one team has to win and the White Sox aren't it, then I think we can evaluate. I'm thinking more along the lines of like a uh, a flat you know loss like they had against Tampa in 2008 where just they were out of yeah. gas by the time they got to October. Nobody thought they could do it and they proved everybody right. <laughs> they just, uh, that's, that's I think what they want to avoid. Just, you know, baseball is a zero-sum game. So if they play well, you know, just and don't get it done, then we'll reevaluate it. But if they show up and just more or less, you know, crap the bed for a couple of games, give games away, uh, have a Kimbrel eighth or have, uh, you know, Rodon not show up or just have some games that just get away from them. And they don't compete. That's, I think, where, you know, that will be a missed opportunity and that will be unsuccessful because I think fans will go into uh, next season just thinking like, oh, Maybe the Sox were lucky. Maybe the division just broke their way and yeah, maybe you don't feel so great. So that's why I think uh, winning a postseason series would affirm just that this team was built for that kind of success. I guess all I'm saying is that if the White Sox do not win the American League Divisional Series, don't throw away your 2021 American League Central Division champion shirts because the White Sox don't like to win divisions in back-to-back yeah. seasons, <laughs> so it could be a while before it happens again. Punch a hole through my wood desk. That is not the case, and they do win back-to-back divisions uh, with the 2022 season next year. Uh, yeah, I'm just a bit surprised that it is a World Series or bust because I don't, I don't necessarily like pouring buckets of cold water. We're just not that franchise as far as that fan base yet. The Dodgers, sure. Mm-hmm. Yankees, yeah. White Sox, it's almost like we should be satisfied we're invited to the party, but this team is really good. They've spent many years on a sometimes brutal rebuild that I I do get that. I, I do understand where White Sox fans are. Hey, listen, you put me through some really painful years the least that you can do is win at least one playoff series after what happened in Oakland last year. Yeah. I think to me, that's how I look at it is uh, they uh, didn't advance last postseason. So the goal this year, theoretically is to advance. And then once you yep. get to the, you know, ALCS, your goal is to advance to the world series. Like that's a case where you can keep building. I think you don't want to take, st- like if you get to the world series, and don't win it. Yeah. I think there's a case where, um, you know, just you can't count on winning two world series in a row. It's a nice goal, but there should be a little bit of a honeymoon period allowed, but when you're advancing and you're trying to get better, I think there is room to allow to get better and still learn what you know is left, uh, learn how much you have to add, build the necessary depth, et cetera. Um, the one thing I keep coming back to though, with, uh, the white Sox and Tony LaRue says the 2006 Cardinals, they went, uh, 12 and they went 13 and 15 in August and 12 and 16, uh, 12 and 17 in September and October. So, you know, 25 and uh, 32 over the last two months. And then 
won the World Series an 83-win team. Like that's a case where, yeah, they looked flat. They lost a ton of games in a row. They saw a division lead whittled down from seven games to one and a half over the yeah. last two weeks. Like he's been through this before. So not saying he's planning it, not saying that he can flip a switch or that he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he knows what cures the White Sox. But I think like in just in terms of uh, people saying like, you know, if the White Sox, you know, uh, crash and burn. Do the White Sox need to can Larusa? And like, I would say no. Like, it just seems like we well, just replaced the manager last year. It's like you just can't keep. I guess you could keep. You know, just swapping up managers. I don't. I think with the, as talented the White Sox are, it doesn't really matter. But just that's you know, theoretically they hired Larusa for this. Let's see what he does. Let's see if he makes any missteps. It might not be about missteps. It just might be about talent not aligning at the right time. But I think you know he's doing what he can to rest the roster. If the roster doesn't respond, then, you know, it's a matter of, did they just exhaust all their depth in a wonderful way that got them the postseason no further? And this is where that lack of depth that we worried about materializes. And if so, you know, maybe that's how it happens and the White Sox just have to build better next year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, a couple of quick items here uh, before we preview the series in Cleveland. Uh, in the same column, when you were writing about Aloy Jimenez, you also wrote about the need for Adam Engel, who has returned to the White Sox, uh, to really stake a claim in right field uh, because the other right field solutions for the White Sox are fading again. Brian Goodwin, again, is fading uh, as far as offensively. And with Engel in tow, you're suggesting, Jim, forget the platoons. Adam Engel needs to play every single day, and he almost needs to be the permanent right fielder for the White Sox come the postseason. Why is that? Because, uh, one, reps just having missed the time and needing to use September as a runway into October seems like it makes sense if his body allows it. Um, cause I know like they brought him back before on the injured list and had a really conservative game plan for him and he couldn't hold up ultimately. So if it, it's a matter of like the white Sox having angle every day or no angle at all, then it's or like part-time or no angle at all. I'd say like part-time, but if he's fully healthy and it seems like he is, I haven't heard any talk of restrictions or, you know, you know he might need every other game initially and then make sure he bounces back. Okay. And then full speed ahead, but whatever gets to that full speed ahead, 
point. Like, I don't see a point in playing Brian Goodwin against righties if there's a chance that Angle can be as good against righties as he was earlier this year when all of a sudden he was an 800-plus OPS guy against righties. When you factor in his defense being better than Goodwin's, when you figure uh, his defense being way better than Gavin Sheets. And Sheets is like, you know, he's had a nice rookie season, a very surprising pleasant rookie season just with the quality of at bats but i think when it comes to squaring pitches up he's not quite there yet he has to settle for cheap singles and beating the shift which is fine it's just you know when it comes to the postseason i think angle can offer maybe more reliably at the plates and then definitely more reliably at uh, in the field and i think when you add those two things together if you bat him in the bottom third of the order like and just maybe even you know, eighth or ninth, depending on what's happening at second base, like just have him get on base for Tim Anderson, for Luis Robert, have the ability to score from first on a double, like having that kind of action turning over the order, I think is more important than what Goodwin might be able to do or Sheets. And even Andrew Vaughn, I, I mentioned him, but I think just with his issues and how much he was struggling before they mentioned the back problem, I'm not really counting on him being better than any of the other options right now. Yeah, looking at the last 30 days right field production for the White Sox, Brian Goodwin is hitting 204. He's got a good on-base percentage. He's getting on base at 339, but his slugging percentage has cratered. He's slugging 265. His ISO is 0. .061. It's a lot of singles, folks. It's a mm -hmm. lot of singles. The extra base hits have pretty much evaporated again on Brian Goodwin. And it does, uh, it's going to be a difficult question for those that will be participating in the offseason plan project on SoxMachine.com. What you do with Brian Goodwin for the 2022 season. He's picking a bad time right now uh, to be slumping. And, and Gavin Sheets, he's putting up good offensive numbers uh, in the last 30 days. He's just not a right fielder. Uh, so I agree with you. I, I think that we kind of need to shift our focus. There was some talk maybe a month ago of should Andrew Vaughn be the right fielder when Aloy Jimenez comes back and Jimenez could be the permanent left fielder. But now with Adam Engel back, I agree with you, Jim. Adam Engel should be the penciled in as the permanent right fielder for the White Sox, regardless of handiness uh, for the pitcher. Mm -hmm. Maybe Goodwin gets some DH at bats. I'm thinking if it's a righty on the mound, Larusa may not be afraid to go to Gavin Sheets as the DH and have him bat eighth in the lineup uh, in front of Cesar Hernandez. Uh, at least Larusa will have some flexibility in the DH spot. But the White Sox could use a shot in the arm in right field, and hopefully Adam Engel can provide that uh, bef in, before the regular season ends, so he gets back into rhythm and definitely into the postseason. Maybe the most important question before the regular season ends and we're going to know more on Tuesday when he makes his next start against the Cincinnati Reds at home and that is Carlos Rodon and his health and he only lasted three innings against the Detroit Tigers you tweeted this out Jim you also wrote about it on SoxMachine.com the fastball velocity cratered for Rodon in that start where he was hitting 89 90 miles per hour that's far different from the Rodon we saw in the first half of the season. And he's saying that it's just soreness, that there's really no big concern. Uh, but the Russa said that he was concerned, but minds changed the very next day that they're going to give Rodon an opportunity to see what he could do against Cincinnati. Jim, if Rodon makes this start on Tuesday, and it's the same thing we saw in Detroit, he starts 93-94, but mm -hmm. in the third inning, he's back to 89, 90 miles per hour. What do you think the White Sox are going to do with Carlos Rodon? I don't know. I, I think my best guess would be like try to get one time through in a postseason game. Like you use him for three innings, try to see how far his fastball can take him, and then counter with somebody else, whether it's Lopez, whether it's, you know, just go to Kopech from there, see how far he can go. Yeah, depending on the, I guess, the, Severity of the game, how much the the margin is, et cetera. Um, but, you know, with Rodon, it's tough just because, you know, he keeps getting further away. <laughs> he, start, he starts, uh, you know, comes back from the injury list five innings, like, okay, five innings, like, uh, it's a little bit better velocity, but then it dips. Then, you know, 
you know, gets has a game where his velocity spikes, but then slider disappears and his velocity craters on him, like you said. And I keep wanting to see more, keep wanting to see him the same, and he just keeps getting further away. And yeah. I think one thing about LaRusa, just listening to him talk, is I do think he has the tendency to be a pessimist on injuries, like the way he talked about Giolito coming back and Giolito seems fine. Uh, it seems like he does not want to be somebody who sounds too optimistic or pushes a player through something he can't handle or set up expectations. So fans or media are disappointed when somebody isn't able to make it back in a certain timetable. So I don't know, you know, I'm still, I think we're still learning about how he handles himself in this era of like zoom conferences and such where the availability is so much more, uh, formal and stunted and uh, less natural when it comes to just kind of back and forth between reporters. So that's, I don't know exactly how to read him when he sounds that he's concerned because he just naturally might be concerned, but just from having seen Rodon's stuff start to start and seeing it fading, it almost seems like the start against Cincinnati is not so much a vote of confidence that he can bounce back and be the Rodon that they loved the first half of the season in time for the postseason almost seems to me like it's, they want to see what he has in order to not count on him or know if they can't count on him. Like I would say the glass uh, half empty aspect in that they want to see like, if he comes out throwing 92, 93 again, and if he's lost the flags after 50 pitches, then they know like, okay, he can't start or at least, okay, he can't start like a five inning game. Uh, we have to plan for Michael Kopech to go two or three, or we have to plan for having Lopez ready to counter. Like we, I think that's really what this is more about rather than thinking he can, he can bounce back from this dead arm period or whatever they think might be a more optimistic set of circumstances. I think it's more just the power of knowing. You make really good points, Jim. And I agree with you that this Tuesday start for Carlos Rodon is really important for him on multiple levels, because if it, if it's a repeat of Detroit, there's so many things for the White Sox to consider. And obviously for Carlos Rodon to consider, he wants to pitch in the postseason. He wants an opportunity to wash away the bad taste of what happened in game three in Oakland last year. Mm -hmm. that he is someone that the White Sox can count on because Carlos Rodon has been awesome this year against the Houston Astros. He's got two terrific starts against the Houston Astros, and he might be one of the few pitchers in this league that can shut that team down. When he did that, he had 98 miles per hour. But if he's only got 91 or 92, that's not the same Carlos Rodon the Houston Astros faced in May or the Rodon they faced after the All-Star game in July. You mean they haven't game-planned for him? <laughs> I guess you could look yeah. at it that way of, oh, man, he's going to throw 98, and then it seems like every fastball is a changeup coming Yeah, you're him. seeing bats flying to the stands every other swing. Um, so out in front. And Rodon is a free agent after this season, so he's got to think long-term for his career because if he tries to gut it out, and give 110%, and he walks off the mound, and he's dragging his arm, and he seriously interests himself again, well, that impacts his future earnings. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a very delicate situation. I'm almost wondering if Tuesday doesn't go well for Carlos Rodon, does that re-enter the conversation of Dallas Keuchel needing to make a start in the American League Divisional Series? Maybe not, just because I think they can get by with three starters, uh, especially like, say, if they need all hands on deck by game four. Uh, but I can see Keuchel being in the mix, like being there for innings, making a start or at least making a start and expecting a starter's workload from him. I'm not seeing that yet. I don't think it's a good idea, but... Uh, that's why I sighed before asking the question. It, it could be a real possibility. So fingers crossed that everything goes well on Tuesday for Carlos Rodon. And even if he can only give the White Sox three or four innings in any of the games in the American League Divisional Series, the White Sox need to take that because I think Rodon can throw three to four innings more effectively than Dallas Keuchel right now. Mm -hmm. I, Keuchel 
gave up 11 hits in five innings to Detroit. He's lucky he only gave up two runs in that start. I Dallas Keuchel is bringing in some very difficult questions for the 2022 season, let alone what in the world are you going to do with him for the postseason roster uh, coming October. All right, so the White Sox are now heading to Cleveland uh, for it's five games in four days, thanks to Mother Nature postponing games. And for Cleveland, uh, looking at the American League Central standings, again, the White Sox are 85 and 66. Cleveland is 74 and 76. They're still below 500. In their last 10 games, they are 5 and 5, and they won their last game. Uh, and the magic number is two. However, if the White Sox just beat Cleveland once, they will clinch the American League Central. Win and, and they're, they're in. Win and they're in. And uh, it just so happens to be that the White Sox are playing a seven-inning doubleheader on Thursday, and they are awesome in seven-inning games this year. The Chicago White Sox are 9-2 and two in seven-inning games. So they possibly could clinch the American League Central finally on Thursday, September 23rd. And for that doubleheader, Game 1, this is going to be a 12-10 p.m. Central time start. Ronaldo Lopez will be on the mound for the White Sox against Aaron Savali. Uh, if you remember last year, it was Lopez on the mound when the White Sox clinched their postseason berth uh, in 2020. So maybe it could happen again. Uh, game two, we're going to find out on who the White Sox want to throw. Uh, whoever the White Sox decide will be against Zach Plesak. On Friday, September 24th, Dylan Cease is on the mound and Shane Bieber is back. We're going to talk about Bieber in a moment here. Uh, Saturday, September 25th, it's Lance Lynn against Eli Morgan. And Sunday, September 26th, it is Lucas Giolito against Tristan McKenzie. So the White Sox facing some young arms uh, on Saturday and Sunday. All right, Jim. Shane Bieber. Was not expecting to see Shane Bieber again against the White Sox after his shoulder injury in June. Mm -hmm. The White Sox are already scuffling. So, you know, what the hell? Let's let's bring back Shane Bieber, the arch nemesis of the Chicago White Sox lately. Uh, what are you expecting to see out of Bieber? Because it doesn't sound like he's going to be at 100% his normal self, that Cleveland would be content if he can go 75 pitches, five innings. Do you think that for someone that has as much rust as Shane Bieber has, that finally the White Sox can take advantage of a game against Shane Bieber. It's possible. Like they've hit him well before the, he's had some dominant starts against him. He's the white Sox have also had some surprising successes against him. So can't rule it out, especially him you know, coming off a significant injury and absence, but looking at these pitching probables, like it's a nice array of starters for the white Sox to face, like some, uh, you have like Bieber, who theoretically is one of the top game, although we'll see what kind of form he's in. But Zach Plesac is respectable. Um, Savali is respectable um, slash good, like depending on if he's fully back from his injury. And then you have like Morgan and McKenzie, who are ready as the White Sox should be able to hit. So uh, as, the season, as the series unfolds, you know, as we're talking about like, you know, Angle coming back, getting into gear. Uh, Jimenez coming back. Uh, or Jimenez getting into gear. He's already been back. But having a Abreu try to hit some homers <laughs> besides the one he's already hit. Having some power from uh, sources who aren't Yasmani Grandal. Like, this is a nice array of pitchers. One, you know, the White Sox can prove themselves against as they face good pitching throughout October, but also some, hopefully, you know, some pitching like Morgan and McKenzie that they can use to you know, ramp up for that October race, like use them as a, a punching bag a little bit, you know, maybe not, you know, the entire lineup, but at least some key hitters in order to get back on track. But yeah, Beaver, I was afraid that, you know, the, yeah, I had a lingering fear in my head that like Savali would come back. Beaver would come back just in time for like Cleveland to have closed the gap for like six games and for them to be like <laughs> within like a five game series of like being able to really put the pressure on the White Sox with fresh arms who the White Sox don't normally see too well. So I'm just relieved. I think uh, that it's 10 and a half games. The White Sox only have to win 
one game basically the rest of the way, whether it's against Cleveland or anybody else, because, you know, even if uh, Cleveland sweeps them, like they have to go basically undefeated the rest of the way themselves. So yeah, it's a, the circumstances I feared like maybe a month ago uh, haven't materialized. So whatever Bieber does, I think is more or less fine. I'm more or less concerned about uh, Jimenez looking good and angle getting back into shape and everybody else basically uh, to use a Kenny Williams phrase, staying healthy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Stay healthy. It's, it's just that simple, Jim. It really is just stay healthy. Uh, Good points. And we will be recapping that series on the Sox Machine podcast on Monday. We will be recapping the Thursday action in the White Sox wake up call. Uh, That'll be ready for you guys Friday morning. So that'll be the next podcast episode. Bennett Carroll will have that. So you'll be able to listen to Bennett in the morning as he recaps the Thursday doubleheader games. And hopefully Bennett is recapping a division uh, division title clinching win. Uh, against Cleveland during that doubleheader on Thursday. Uh, But before we sign off here for this uh, version and edition of Sox Machine Live, uh, looking at the postseason races right now for both the American and National Leagues, Jim, uh, as I mentioned, the Tampa Bay Rays have clinched a postseason spot. It looks like they have firm control on the American League East. Uh, Something that did caught my attention, Houston is gaining ground on Tampa Uh, They're just two and a half games back for uh, home field advantage throughout the postseason. So while we have been thinking it's been Houston and we have said on this show, it'll be Houston in the American League Divisional Series. There's still a window of opportunity that Houston can catch Tampa Bay and maybe the White Sox will be facing the Rays in the first round of the postseason for the American League. But this is still a very tight race. Uh, for the last two spots in the American League uh, postseason for the wild card, and it's Toronto, Boston, and New York. With this weekend upcoming here, uh, when we speak next Sunday night for the Monday Morning Sox Machine podcast, uh, who do you like to be in those two postseason spots entering the final week of the season? I'm looking at their schedules right now because you know, the Yankees are playing the Rangers. The Blue Jays have looked bad against uh, Tampa, but you know Tampa look, is a good team. So when you're looking at the rest of the, the schedule, like the Yankees have the Red Sox this weekend, the Blue Jays, which will be a huge, huge, huge mm-hmm. series middle of the week, and then they end with the Rays. And you know the Rays have given them fits. The Yankees could be facing a Rays team with nothing, the Rays also just might want to, well, who knows? The Rays might want to keep them alive to face them in the first round of the ALDS. So you don't know if they're going to like toy with them a little bit to just try to get them into October. You never quite know. Maybe they'll purposely um, drop their scouting report cards on the field so the Yankees players can pick them up. They can drop fake ones. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that'll be a thing, like having some decoys. Uh, but the, the Toronto ends with Baltimore. Like their last series of the year is Baltimore while Yankees face uh, the Rays. So I think it it feels to me like Boston and Toronto. Like the Yankees just feel like they've been playing with fire all year. Um, been disappointing. I don't, you know, talking about like flipping a switch, like at least the White Sox at times have looked dominant. And because of their pitching staff, they haven't had like the long losing streaks that the Yankees have had to just erase all hope. Like the Yankees have been the team, the White Sox sometimes feel like they are right now just by uh, realizing, oh, you guys are never going to get together, are you? Whereas the White Sox have had enough weeks to where they have looked like a full team in order to not be that dire. All right. And in the National League, who do you like winning the West as the Dodgers and Giants are just one game apart from each other? It feels like the Dodgers just because they're really? so good. And, and, but I don't want them to be like, I'm rooting for the Giants just because it's a cool story to have somebody knock off the Giants. I love a, a postseason race like this. Like, I think it was 90, I think it was 93 where the Giants won 102 games and finished second. Like, they lost to the Braves yes, by the game Braves. in the West. Yeah. Like, I love pennant races like this. So I would love to see the Giants hold them off. It just, it feels like this whole season, like, having the giants play like beyond anybody's uh, wildest dreams, especially like in, in San Francisco, like better than anybody ever thought they could play and still not being good enough to beat the Dodgers <laughs> feels like a very realistic outcome to me, even as unsatisfying as that would be. So 
My head says Dodgers. My heart says Giants. Yeah, the St. Louis Cardinals, the hottest team in baseball, have they got a firm grasp on that last postseason spot. Uh, do you think that either the Giants or Dodgers would be in trouble of possibly losing that one-game playoff against this St. Louis Cardinals team? Well, it's one game. Like, <laughs> theoretically, you know, that's why I think it's, you know, I enjoy the one-and-done format just because it does make winning the division such a so important makes the regular season so important and that's why i'm a fan of the just having the punishment of not winning the division um even as severe as it might be for a team that wins 101 games to lose to uh a team you know like i'm looking at the cardinals record like they might win like 87 games something like that mm-hmm. and being 14 wins better and still not you know still having to win one game <laughs> to get to where everybody else is. I think it's cruel, but I also, I just like having the regular season matter that much. Yeah. If, if that happens and if you have a nationally postseason where it's the giants against Cardinals and the Brewers against the Braves and the Dodgers and Padres are not part, or even the New York Mets as well, uh, not part of any of this equation uh, that would be a big shocker if you went back in time before the season started, uh, that the three most talked about teams in the national league would not be as a factor going into the national league championship series. That, that would be bizarre to me. So that's why I'm, I, I'm rooting for the giants to win the national league West gym, mm-hmm. because I do think the Cardinals could give the Dodgers hell for one game at Dodger stadium. And I think that'd be amazing theater. We, we could have spectacular wildcard games for both the American and National League, because I'm with you as well. Boston at Toronto uh, and St. Louis at Los Angeles. I, I think that would be great theater going into what I hope is a very entertaining and successful postseason for the White Sox. I'm with you. Uh, and, you know, having the Cardinals, like I thought the Cardinals were going to win the central and I'm at least glad that they've showed up to at least validate uh, my thoughts that they could actually be better than the Brewers. And I think, uh, I think I'm done underestimating the Brewers at this point. Just uh, I, I think we can trust uh, Stearns and council to be better than the roster looks. <laughs> so I think I'm done there, but I'm just happy that, you know, I guess the Cardinals with Arenado, like adding what you thought Arenado would add better late than never. Very true. Very true. And again, we'll, we will recap all this as we enter the final week of the regular season. Next time, Jim and I speak with you guys on the next Sox Machine podcast, which is going to be released next Monday. And we'll recap what happens in the five games in four days in Cleveland over the weekend. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine or in the embedded player on SoxMachine.com. If you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream of Sox Machine Live, no worries. You could always listen to the Sox Machine Live on our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, you can also watch the video version on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash SoxMachine. And follow us on Twitter. We are at SoxMachine. And if you enjoy our work and want more, Think about signing up at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our new Socks Machine swag. And we have $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month tiers, and you save 9% off on annual plans that we have introduced. And you can go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. And a status on the pint glasses, Jim, they're going in the mail this week, have uh, all the shipping uh, equipment needed. So, uh, yeah, and also a new milestone today hit 550 supporters. So thank you so much. Hooray! That's new ground for us. Huzzah! Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued and new support. Really appreciate it. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I am Josh Nelson. 
Thanks for watching and listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.